Welcome to Capital Conversations, the ERLC's podcast from Washington, D.C., where we help Christians imagine a new way to engage in the public square. I'm your host, Jeff Pickering. I am joined once again by my colleagues on ERLC's public policy team here in the nation's capital city, Chelsea patterson Sobolik and Travis Wusso. Chelsea, Travis, welcome back. Hi, Jeff. Hey, guys. Happy New Year. <laughs> Can we still say Happy New Year after <laughs> after the way that this year's gone? I, I know there's been a lot of conversation on our team about how, uh, and not just our team, but, uh, but the rest of the country, uh, January 2021 just kind of feels like the 13th month of 2020, the most unlucky month of a really tough year. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. I think... You know, and and in some ways, you know, maybe we shouldn't have been caught so by surprise, you know, as much as 2020 had to teach us about uh, contentment and uh, rolling with the punches and those kinds of things. But it does seem that we will uh, have to put those hard lessons we all learned in 2020 uh, to good use for the rest of this year. Man, Chelsea, how about that? He Travis brought his sermon notes for... Uh... Or just the, the introduction, no introduction to You're this. You're accusing me of using notes? I've got no, no notes. No, I'm just saying. I'm just saying, man, here, here I am thinking we're just going to kind of banter before we jump into the conversation. And you just brought us brought a sermon about contentment and putting into to practice what we learned in a really tough year. No, it's it's good. It's good. It's good. <laughs> I was just going to say the punches keep coming, but there is a bright light in January as it is my birth month. So it hey. all is not lost. Ah, nice. There you go. So. There you go. Well, you know, that makes it that makes it a happy, happy new year. So for this week's podcast, it's uh it's the the first one that our uh, staff roundtable, it's our first staff roundtable of 2021 with all that's going on. And I am particularly struck at the juxtaposition of these two historic Wednesdays in January. Uh, the first, the first January Wednesday of 2021, we had a violent insurrection at the Capitol, just where the unimaginable becomes uh, becomes reality that we watched here in D.C. And then two weeks later, we have Wednesday, January 20th. Uh, where at that very same location, uh, our country will inaugurate the 46th president of the United States, Joe Biden, and thus begins a new presidential administration and a new Congress. So uh, we're going to be talking about both of those things from Wednesday, January 6th to Wednesday, January 20th, uh, and what it all means, what it all means for our for our public square, for our democracy, and for our public policy work here at the ERLC. So, uh, Chelsea, I want to begin by coming to you about the events of Wednesday, January 6th. You are a former Hill staffer. You worked in the House of Representatives. What were you thinking as you watched the attack on the Capitol that Wednesday? Jeff, I spent three years and some change on Capitol Hill, uh, specifically in the House. And, you know, there were a handful of times during my duration on the Hill where there was an active shooter on the Hill. And we would go lock up in our offices and for, you know, 20, 
20, 30 minutes. We didn't know what was happening. Um, But of course, the Capitol Police quickly responded and all was okay. But that moment of temporary fear definitely was there. And, you know, when you, you sign up to work at the Capitol, you are aware that those that you're working in a high-risk, high-targeted environment. So in some ways, you know, those active shooters and whatnot weren't surprising. But what happened on Wednesday, January 6th, was an attack on our nation's capital, on our Congress. And, you know, all of us at the ERLC in our D.C. office have very good friends on the Hill. Um, You know, I have a friend who works in the the House press gallery and was in there and saw the guns being drawn and uh, just the sheer terror of that. So I think, you know, it hit very close to home. Um, My husband used to work on the Hill. And again, I have uh, we all have close, close friends on the Hill. So it, it definitely hit very close to home what was happening. And to me, it felt like the darkest day in America since 9-11. But the difference was instead of being attacked by foreign nationals, we were attacked by our own countrymen, um, which is definitely sobering. And I mean, there's a lot to to process and to think about there. Um, and then over the weekend, I live um, about a mile from the Capitol. I went for a walk up to up to the Capitol and, um, you know, six six blocks out, you can't drive. And then three blocks out from the Capitol, you can't walk. And there were just thousands and thousands of National Guard. I posted a picture on social media, but my favorite view of the Capitol, it's a little off the beaten path. It's a block behind the Library of Congress. Uh, you see the Library of Congress building and you see the Capitol dome just peeking um, between the buildings. And, you know, it was fenced off. There were, there were National Guard and it just felt eerie. And, you know, I'm grateful for their presence in our city, but the reason they are here is uh, sorrowful. I'm glad you mentioned it. It felt like the darkest day for our country since 9-11, because I think both uh, just the the scenes and the, and the fear uh, of that day was very reminiscent of September 11th, but also the apprehension in each day that has passed feels very similar to 9-11. Just this, uh, just within the last 24 hours since we were recording this, there was a, uh, not an evacuation uh, of the Capitol building, but an emergency alert for everybody to stay in place because there was a, there was a large, uh, apparently it, it was, it sounded like an explosion and a large fire near the Capitol. And, and there's just this sense of like, we don't know what that is. And there was an overreaction. Turns out it was a fire totally unrelated, some propane takes that, that blew, but there's that sense of, wow, the unthinkable just happened. And there's these continuing threats online from far-right extremist groups who refuse to accept the results of the election that continue to keep everybody on high alert. One more point on that, Jeff. One thing that is very different, um, you know, contrasting the events of 9-11 to January 6th is after 9-11, our entire nation rallied together to fight the war on terror. But I think after January 6th, you know, I've just in personal conversations, you know, Americans are viewing what happened at the Capitol completely different in some ways. And, you know, in in some instances, we can't even agree on the basic facts of what happened. And I think after 9-11, we unified. And after January 6th, it is apparent how how divided we are. and. That's just an interesting contrast. So, Travis, help us think through how how you're processing the events of that day, what this all means for our division, like Chelsea uh, just referenced. You know, what does this all mean for the work of the ERLC here in Washington? And 
and, you know, more broadly and arguably more importantly, what does this all mean for how Christians should be thinking about and, in, and engaging with public policy and the public square? Yeah, and and sort of before getting to that question, just to add a you know a, a couple of personal reflections. I mean, I I think you know you can you can look on at news stories and and see images and video of the of the military presence here. You know, it is overwhelming, and I think you know for you know for me, and I think you know for anybody who's traveled around the developing world, you know, it, it really brings back, brings back some memories. I mean, I've never seen anything like it. It, it really is an overwhelming show of force. And, and it sort of has two kinds of effects on you. One is that it is reassuring because the, I mean, it would, it would take a literal army to take the city at this point. I mean, you're, you can't travel uh, in most places in the DC area. Most of the bridges uh, coming in and out of the city as as of the time that we're recording this are now closed. So, you know, there there is a, a sense in which that's reassuring. But on the other hand, you know, it, it's the, this is what's required to keep us safe. This level of force was thought by our leaders uh, to be the appropriate course of action, I think is jarring and, and sobering. And I think we, you know, we should take stock of that and not, you know, not move, not move past it quickly. Um, but you asked about, you know, what does January 6th mean for, mean for us and our, our work at, at ERLC? I mean, we, we have done a lot of work over the last several years on, uh, civility and polarization and looking at the health of our democracy. And I think an event like January 6th has to take us back first to our first principles. You know, we, we need to remember what it, what it means when we say that we are a nation of laws. You know, the, the rule of law is a concept that's set up against the rule of man. The rule of man is when the, the person who has the most power, uh, the person who has the biggest army, the person who has the biggest weapons determines what happens. Um, we aren't like that. We have to recognize that what happened on January 6th was an assault on that very idea of, of the fact that we are a nation that is ruled by laws, not by mobs, not by shows of force, not by threats of intimidation, but by law. And that rule of law defends the people that we, within our organization, certainly, but I think as all Americans, those laws defend the people that we were sent here uh, to protect and to advocate for and to defend, those who don't have a voice, those who don't uh, or whose voices can't be heard uh, or, or those who uh, lack the ability to defend themselves. You know, and, and I think what's, you know, as we just, I'm in the middle of reading Ezekiel right now, and when, when Ezekiel brings his condemnation against God's people, as, as is the case with, with most of the condemnations from the prophets, the condemnation is against the twin problems of unrighteousness and injustice. Ezekiel is concerned about the way that God is being worshipped and, and idolatry and, and those issues, to be sure. But he also says that Jerusalem was a, was a city filled with blood. Uh, it was a city where uh, the widow and the orphan were oppressed, where, where, uh, where servants were not paid uh, their, their wages, and and so again, this this idea that that the law is intended to protect us from the powerful it it goes all the way it, it is a through line uh, in our in our scriptures as well, and 
And so what upholding the rule of law requires is for all of us to honor the law, even and perhaps especially when it is difficult, when we have a lot to lose by following the law, as a, a lot of elected officials, including President Trump, had a lot to lose by by following the law. Um, and so, you know, I just think we, you know, as, as we reflect on January 6th, we need to see it as a threat to the very essence of our democracy, um, a threat to the very system of laws that, can tr- that constrains the powerful for the sake of providing every image bearer of God equal protection under law. There's a threat to that. Yeah. Chelsea, I'd love to, I'd love to hear your reflections on all that Travis just shared as well. Uh, and then, you know, I've got a, I've got a couple of thoughts about what I, what I think January 6th threatens as well uh, under, underneath all of that, but want to, want to come to you first. Thanks, Jeff. And I think, I mean, Travis is exactly right. What we have in America is so very special and so very unique in world history and unique in um, the world today. And it is it's something to be cherished. And like Travis said, the the laws we have and the democracy we have, you know, it is good and right for us to work for those to be just and for those to to be good and to um, for our laws to um, advance human flourishing. And something I've, I've thought about a lot over the past couple of weeks is, you know, we do a lot of international human rights, uh, religious freedom work at the ERLC. And um, a lot of that work is focused on governments that do not seek the the human flourishing of their citizens. And, um, you know, whether that's in China or North Korea or, you know, some of these developing nations we were talking about earlier, um, I've been to Haiti and I've seen just the extreme political unrest there. And I think it's important for us to to realize and remember you know, what we have in, in America is very special. You know, we are not guaranteed that we will have this this forever. Um, you know, a lot of people like to quote, quote this in, in Washington, but um, when Benjamin Franklin was asked what kind of government they set up, he, you know, quipped, a republic if you can keep it. And again, that's thrown around all the time, but it's true. It's, you know, we are not guaranteed this forever. Um, and contrasting that with um, how many other governments around the world do not have even a sliver of what we have here. I think, you know, as representatives of the Southern Baptist Convention and as the ERLC outpost in Washington, D.C., we will continue working towards laws that advance human flourishing and protect the vulnerable and, you know, seek the welfare of our city. So so often there there's this uh you know there's this assumption in a country like the United States that is so special and so exceptional that oh our institutions are strong they'll hold it's it's no big we can just do whatever we want we can play with matches because it's not going to light up in flames and i think what we saw on january 6th was a reminder that we are we are the institutions. We, we, the people are the institutions. Uh, our elected representatives, the 535 uh, members of Congress, what they say matters for the institution. The institutions of our democracy are not some theoretical thing that that stands outside of us, uh, but it's what we build every day uh, with what we have inherited from uh, from those who came before us in this country, and. You know, I think I think all that you both have laid out is exactly right that it that it threatens the very essence of our democracy. 
And what I think to me was so sickening about what we what we saw was that the the events of January 6th were a culmination of a lot of different things from QAnon conspiracy thinking, the rise of of alt-right extreme militia men, and a broader uh, movement based on a lie about what happened in in the election. Uh, this is something that our boss, Russell Moore, uh, has written a lot about, including uh, in his newsletter from uh, from November 16th, uh, titled Looking for Truth in Post-Election America, that you had a lot of people just straight up lying in order to increase their political fundraising, uh, in order to get clicks on social media, in order to uh, increase their viewership on their cable news program. You just had a lot of people lying about not only what happened in the election, that there was some sort of massive fraud, but also what, you know, what then from that lie, uh, the lie about what could be done on January 6th. And that, that recklessness has ruined a lot of people's lives. People who stormed the Capitol thinking that they were doing something, uh, that was, that was approved by these political leaders, uh, and, and media folks who were lying to them. And so there's a lot of conversation now about accountability, U.S. attorneys, the FBI, local uh, local authorities are arresting people and charging people uh, with a variety of charges as it relates to their activity. Some, uh, I imagine, we will see some insurrection charges, domestic terrorism charges, uh, but also just uh, you know unlawful entry of a federal building as well as uh, as well as destruction of federal federal property and. One of the most interesting aspects to that conversation about accountability and what it looks like to seek justice for what was, on the whole, an act of terror against our country and against our constitutional process of counting the Electoral College votes, is the conversation about leadership and the ways in which our current political leadership have have led us to this this place, because there are certainly some people that you'll see in their interviews or their videos from Parler or some of the other places on on the internet where these types of groups would would congregate and talk that you can tell these these people are deranged and they probably have been for a very long time um, and just scary violent uh, actors, right? With the guys, I'm thinking about the guys that that had Kevlar and zip ties. They were there because they thought Mike Pence was a traitor and they wanted to take our political leaders hostage. Um, there were others who are just walking around the Capitol building, uh, you know, ripping down Nancy Pelosi's, uh, Nancy Pelosi's nameplate from her office or, uh, you know, that other guy walking around with the Speaker of the House stand or sitting in Mike Pence's chair who uh, they were there because they thought President Trump wanted them to go there and stand up for the country to quote unquote, stop the steal. And so you have a lot of people who you think four or five years ago, this person would have never ended up breaking a window at the Capitol or, or even walking into the Capitol and thinking it was okay. But because of the effect of leadership, they are now facing down prison time uh, by federal authorities. And that's enraging to me that we have leaders that have just lied to people for so long that now you have a lot of people who otherwise would have never been in this situation to have their lives ruined. And so I know I'm not the only one thinking about the effects of the effects of leadership and and uh, 
you know, the aftermath of, of January 6th and what it all means for leadership moving forward. But I got to be honest, I, I'm, I'm pretty pessimistic about what, what the way forward even looks like for leadership in, in, in the public square. I think that this, this moment does demand our, it, it demands all of us thinking a little bit about what leadership is and how we will uh, express that leadership. You know, do leaders represent the people who, that they were, uh, represent the people that they were uh, sent to serve, or do they lead the people that they serve, or is it some, you know, some combination of of the two? And I think, you know, in a in an age that um, uh, political scientists are are increasingly calling a, a a populist era, there will there will not be any shortage of leaders who are willing uh, to just simply serve as a channel for the sentiments of their constituents. But um, you know, I I've been thinking a lot about. Uh, something that uh, Senator uh, Ben Sass, the junior senator from Nebraska, said um, before January sixth. I think it was uh, in December that he wrote. I mean, he said a lot of things in his in in this reflection, but uh, and perhaps we can link to it. But um, but one of the points that he made is that leaders must be willing to tell their constituents the truth, even when it's hard. Um, telling a lie because your constituents demand that you do. That's not leadership, and it's it's also not stewardship of the institution uh, into which you were elected. And you know, I th- I think you know to to a point that that both you and Chelsea made, Jeff. I mean, I, I think we we have to recognize the fragility of of our institutions and the fragility of of really everything around us. I mean, as as Christians who believe uh, who believe in uh, the the inherent fallenness in each of us we we know that um, it isn't because of our our goodness that, that anything good uh, is happening around us but it's in spite of us uh, and it's 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 a testament of, of God's uh, grace on our country and in our lives and so you know I think we we need to recognize that you know every you know every every generation has their challenges that they that they face and everyone who, uh, who serves in or, or leads an institution um, has, you know, has a, a unique stewardship that's unique to their to their time and and their moment and and the and the demands that will be placed on them. And I I think if you know if we've seen anything from last uh, from last couple of months, it's that uh, leaders really are you know our elected officials need to spend some time thinking about what they're doing and and what is the institution that they. Uh, belong to, and you know, each of their seats, their districts are are their own little institutions. How are they serving those institutions? How are they honoring them, and uh, and building them up for the good of all, not just for uh, the good of their political fortunes, which is not easy, you know. And 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 I and I think the you know the other thing too is I I think it also it's it's going to require those of us who are represented by elected officials to demand something different from them and to reward them when they provide that. And so, you know, I, I think for, you know, for our our listeners who are thinking about what's the role that they can play in a moment like this. I mean, what what you saw in the days leading up to January 6th, whether it was, uh, you know, whether it was uh, amicus briefs related to election lawsuits um, or the, you know, or, or the actual votes that took place on, on January 6th was responsive to the demands of their constituents. They're a reflection of that. And we can say that uh, leaders need to tell their constituents the truth, but 
I think it's also true that our constituents need to uh, need to demand something different from our leaders. Um, and so, you know, the, these two problems are interrelated. There's so much to to continue to unpack, and and I would just again point folks back to uh, the interview that I did with our with our boss Russell Moore on on uh, on the Friday after the insurrection. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we ran the audio of that interview in last week's podcast. So if you didn't have a chance to listen to it, I'd encourage you to go back to it because um, the other thing that I think we have to talk about here is is the the ugliness of Christian nationalism and and what that represented there. We didn't have time to get all get into that conversation today, but a lot of what Dr. Moore had to share particularly toward church leaders and, and pastors as they're thinking about how to help their people out of this pit of Christian nationalism, uh, that we maybe don't have an even good idea of how many people in our churches are swept up into it, like we saw on January 6th. His words have only grown more important and more prophetic uh, since we had that interview, because more and more videos have come out, including most recently this weekend, a video, apparently the uh, the New Yorker, uh, had a had a journalist who happened to be there and was with the crew that ended up on the floor of the United States Senate. And one of the QAnon guys, uh, you'll remember him with the like Viking helmet thing. It's the stuff of nightmares. He leads this prayer while they're standing in the middle of insurrection. And when you listen to his prayer, you can tell that this is this is someone who's been in probably an Orthodox church based on the words that he used about God's omniscience and, and some different theologically correct words in the most abusive, horrible of, of settings that I could imagine in our country. Uh, and so, so Travis, just, I mean, I think everything you said is right for political leadership and for the ways that we as citizens of the country think about political leadership, but it's also true for our churches and for those of us as, as fellow church members to be thinking about how we can encourage our pastors to continue uh, leading us in these dark days. And, you know, I've heard from pastors, including my own my own dad, who's engaged this conversation in a more direct way from, from the pulpit and in his ministry. There's a lot of people who are wondering, am I the only one who thinks all of this stuff is insane? And uh, I think the more we can talk about that and encourage one another, the more ultimately we can rescue our fellow brothers and sisters who have been caught up in a lot of this really dark, dark stuff, dark cultural forces and uh, conspiratorial, conspiratorial thinking. All right. So let's turn to the second Wednesday, uh, historic Wednesday here in January. And that is Wednesday, January 20th. That is uh, the inauguration. I believe it's the 59th inauguration of a president of the United States. This is the inauguration for the 46th president of the United States, uh, Joe Biden, as well as America's first female vice president, Vice President-elect Kamala Harris. Uh, this inauguration looks very different as we have two crises, the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic uh, and the threat of political violence. Uh, Biden and Harris will be inaugurated at a time of really profound division in our country, not only over everything we've talked about uh, thus far in this episode, uh, but also the a really unstable economy, a devastating pandemic that has almost claimed, and, and by the time you're listening to this, probably will have claimed over 400,000 American lives. Uh, so there's a lot here, and there's a lot on our plate uh, as advocates 
in D.C. There will be some things that change with the new president and a new administration, but there is ultimately going to be something that stays the same about our work. Uh, you know, this is important. So, Travis, I want to come to you as our as our uh, VP and 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 leading uh, the overall vision and trajectory of our work. How do we think about what is what stays the same? I mean, there are lots of Christians who spend a lot of time being worried and, and trying to stoke worry in people's lives whenever a presidency changes. Whether those Christians are on the left and, you know, the president is a Republican or those Christians are on the right and the president is a Democrat, what stays the same in our work in D.C. from president to president? Yeah, so, I mean, you know, as you said, Jeff, I think any any time there is a, there's a new election, some things change, some things uh, stay the same. Um you know, obviously, in in this environment, a lot has changed politically in terms of who is holding gavels and and who is uh, who is sitting where. You know, who's sitting in what seats and and who gets to decide who's sitting in what seats. But you know, as as you as you pointed out, there are there are a lot of things which don't change. Um, our our work as as an office within the ERLC is uh, to try to figure out how to advance the issues that Southern Baptists care about and that we've spoken to. Um, and to oppose and bear witness where there's disagreement. And so to some extent, that mission doesn't change, even though the environment that we're, we're trying to operate, uh, we're trying to operate in, you know, has, has changed, has changed pretty significantly. And so, you know, it, it means that the, the mix of things that, uh, that we will be trying to advance and the, and the things that we will have to oppose are, are also different as well. But, you know, as with anywhere, we're trying to build common ground where we can, um, and trying to trying to find ways to change the outcome, to change the policy outcomes uh, in a way that that accords with what we believe, uh, and to bear witness uh, to the truth in those situations where we can't change the outcome. And Chelsea, talk to us as our as our policy director, and you know you're thinking about some of the specific policies that we will be engaging in during a, a Biden administration and uh, now a, a Congress uh, with both a Democratic Speaker of House and a Democratic Majority Leader, although those are razor, razor thin margins. It's as close as it can be in the Senate, 50-50, with uh, Vice President Harris breaking the tie for the Democrats. And then in the House, it's like barely double-digit um, difference between uh, Democrats and, and Republicans, I believe. So an even smaller margin. So it's 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 unified government with, with a bit of an asterisk there. So Chelsea, we've got a public policy agenda uh, that is nearly done and will be released uh, soon, sometime after this week's inauguration. So give people uh, a preview about what's to come there, specifically be beginning with uh, what are some areas where we expect to respond uh, to the new administration and Congress in opposition? Uh, thanks, Jeff. So we anticipate that the um, new Biden administration will halt some of President Trump's um, executive orders and will issue his new his own new executive orders. I mean, you can go read online his campaign promises. So uh, we expect that some of those will fall in line. Um, kind of the one of the first ones we're keeping our eye on is the rollback of what's known as the Mexico City policy. The Trump administration expanded that policy, but that policy just prohibits uh, U.S. Um, foreign aid dollars to groups that provide or promote abortion. 
in their family planning. So we expect him to roll back that that executive order. And then, um, you know, he has um, nominated Javier Becerra as his HHS secretary. And Mr. Becerra has a long history of targeting, you know, pro-life pregnancy centers, the Little Sisters of the Poor, being avidly pro-abortion and against um, conscience protection rights. So um, those are a few few things we anticipate to happen um, fairly quickly and things that we will definitely be keeping our eye on. What about some areas where we expect to work proactively with the administration? And obviously, as Travis started us out with, uh, anything, you know, anything that we that we plan, we have to hold loosely. But, you know, Knowing what we know now uh, about some of the pressing policy issues facing the country, where there where there might be opportunity to work proactively with the administration and and the Congress, uh, give us a preview of some of those policies. So there are definitely um, issues that are important to Southern Baptists that we will we do anticipate that we will get to work with the Biden administration on. Um, a couple of those to highlight are continuing the work of the First Step Act on criminal justice reform. You know, I think there's there's definitely some more work that can be done there. Um, we will advocate for a robust refugee resettlement. Um, program and policies to support uh, people fleeing persecution to come to our nation. There are definitely some intersections with um, immigration um, reform that we will get to work on. And then we will continue our work on countering China morally and working for uh, persecuted people in the Chinese Communist Party. So there will definitely be some opportunities for us to work together. All right. Well, Travis, Chelsea, Glad to be back around the Capitol Conversations Roundtable with you, though we're still just on the little uh, Brady Bunch squares because we're all working from home. So it's not, you know, I can't be I can't be too excited that we're actually back around the actual roundtable, which there is one in case listeners don't know that we have an actual roundtable in a studio that is well, sat soon, dormant. Soon enough, soon, soon enough, enough, we'll have the vaccine and we'll we'll be able to. Uh, be able to uh, do this in person again. There you go. This is Capital Conversations, an ERLC podcast from Washington, D.C. As I mentioned, we have our public policy agenda for 2021 uh, just about ready, and we will be releasing it soon. You can uh, stay stay tuned into ERLC.com to see that agenda when it posts. Uh, and you can also uh, if you appreciate our work, particularly in standing for life issues, you can join us from your home for this year's Evangelicals for Life. This is our annual conference, the week of the annual March for Life. Uh, March for Life is happening virtually, and so is our EFL uh, due to the pandemic uh, and the ongoing uh, unrest uh, politically in Washington, D.C., so uh, EFL is on Thursday, January 28th, uh, and uh, you can learn more at erlc.com slash events about that, uh, which covers a lot of the work that Chelsea mentioned as we think about our pro-life work in, uh, in this new administration with a new Congress. Uh, if you enjoyed today's show, found it helpful uh, for all the big topics uh, that uh, January 6th uh, really brought to the forefront uh, for those of us who are Christians engaging the public square. I'd encourage you to, to send this show uh, or to send the interview that I did with Russell Moore about chaos at the Capitol. 
send a link to this podcast uh, to a friend or family member in your community who you've been talking about these issues with or who you think uh, would benefit uh, from hearing our reflections on what it's been like to live in Washington, D.C. and to work in the public square on behalf of our churches uh, here during this time. Be sure to subscribe to Capital Conversations wherever you are listening, whether that's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else, so you never miss an episode. While you're there, uh, leave us a rating and a review. This really will help others find our show, and we would love to welcome as many folks as possible around the Capital Conversations round table. Resources from today's episode are available in the show notes as well as at ERLC.com. Thanks so much for joining us today, and we look forward to being back together with you next week.